coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning Parareality Radio. Hello, everybody. I'm Sandman, long lost and returned finally to the air, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour this evening. Man, thank you guys for tuning in to this uh, comeback episode for Parareality Radio. You know, it's uh, it's Friday, January the 4th. 2018, 2019. Whoa, not 2018 anymore. It's January the 4th, 2019. And of course, that means that it's time for an all new season of your favorite paranormal talk show, Parareality Radio. Well, everybody, you know that I've been gone for a while um, again. I, you know, for uh, several years ago, I quote unquote retired and, and that only lasted for uh, about two years before that I, I came back. But um Tonight is my return to the air after uh, another um, 18-month absence. And I know that you, well, you've all been wondering where I've been since June of 2017. And I feel that I owe you all an explanation. It seems that once again, life got in the way and I had to unexpectedly and abruptly Put a halt to production of Parareality Radio. Uh, I, I'm I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but but uh, because it's personal. Uh, but but back in June of 2017, I had uh, a major personal problem in uh, my immediate family that I had to take care of. This lasted for um, basically about a year, this thing that was going on. And I, I had to deal with that issue, and I'm just going to simply leave it at that. Um, it, it was uh, something that came on suddenly and unexpectedly, and I just didn't have uh, a lot of time to make any announcements or any updates to the website or anything. And then before you know it, you know, uh, a couple of weeks had turned into a couple of months, and a couple of months had turned into even more months, and, and I just didn't uh, have the time or the energy, frankly, to uh, update the website or, or really do much of anything. And and on top of that, um, I've been going back to school trying to complete my master's degree. So I've been been doing that. And, um, it, you know, that on top of the personal issue I was dealing with, like I said, just it, it, life just took hold. And before I knew it, it had been um, almost a year and a half. And... Uh, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it's been that long. So I, I've been itching to return and uh, my personal issues all resolved. Uh, I'm now taking my very last class for my degree. And I, quite frankly, I just couldn't wait anymore. Uh, I've I, I been wanting to make the comeback since really June. And, and I did uh, an episode just out of the blue from AlienCon uh, that I've had some pretty good response from uh and I just really, you know, didn't want to come back in the middle of a, of a, of the year or anything. And I wanted to, to kind of take my time and really develop this and, and, and come back with some new, uh, fresh, exciting material. And man, I, I just couldn't be any more excited. I needed to get back where I belong, which is right here behind this microphone, exploring and investigating all the weird, unexplained and paranormal phenomena that's happening all around us every day. And I'm so glad to be back. I've missed doing the show and I've missed 
all of you and my interactions with you, but I am back now and I'm ready to get moving on with an exciting new season of Parareality Radio. And speaking of that, tonight's show, my return show after an 18-month absence, is, is this is all about my top 10 unexplained mysteries of 2018, besides the fact that I was missing for a year and a half. <laughs> now, these aren't necessarily paranormal in nature, but if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I don't just focus on the paranormal, but I focus rather on everything that's unexplained and mysterious. And hold on, at the end of the show, I've got a major announcement about the future of Parareality Radio, and this is going to mean a big change for the show, a big change for me, but I really hope that it's one that you'll like. However, before I get started, since I've been gone for a while, let me tell you how you can get in contact with me because, once again, if you've listened to this show before, you know that there are several different ways that you can contact me here, Sandman, for Parareality Radio. First of all, just send me an email. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at P-A-R-A-R-E-A-L-I-T-Y dot com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can just simply just go to my website, which is www.parareality.com, and you can contact me via the website. You can also find the Parareality Facebook page by looking up Parareality Radio there on the Facebook search. And I'm also on Twitter. You can follow me there at Parareal Radio. That's at P-A-R-A-R-E-A-L-R-A-D-I-O at Parareal Radio on Twitter. And finally, you can still call me on the studio line. That number is area code 615-692-1170. Once again, that number to call is 615-692-1170. You can call and leave a message. And just be aware, though, that I may play your comment back on the show. I reserve the right to do that. I may also answer the phone as well because you never know. I'm always in the studio or I'm well now I'm going to be back in the studio working on the show. So you just may actually catch me there, can talk to me in person, but I mainly use it for uh people calling to leave messages and, and every once in a while they do. And I keep saying I've been teasing this for years that eventually one day I'm gonna to return to the live show instead of doing just a a, a straight up podcast. Um, and I still would love to do that. Um, it, man, I'm so excited about uh, about coming back to the air. I, you know, I'm having to, to reel myself in because I really wanted to start doing live shows to start off, you know, out the gate. But I'm 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 pacing myself. So anyway, those are all the different ways that you can contact me, Sandman, here on Parareality Radio. All right, so now let's get into my top ten mysteries of. 2018. I'm going to do this in a reverse countdown from 10 to 1. So coming in at number 10 is what happened to Seattle's mystery machine. Now this really has nothing to do with anything paranormal, but it is really mysterious and unique and kind of strange and quirky and weird. So I had to put it in this top 10 list and it made obviously number 10 here. So what is the the mystery machine in Seattle? Well, there's a soda machine 
in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle uh, that was a mystery for, God, a long time, many years. The first thing that was mysterious about it was why were its sodas only 75 cents? Why did they cost 75 cents when, you know, sodas and vending machines all over the rest of the world, especially here in the United States, cost at least a dollar twenty-five, and that's on a good day, you know. And that's been going on for at least a decade. I, I can remember when I was a kid. To show you how old I am, I could get them for twenty-five. Uh, excuse me, not twenty-five cents. I'm not that damn old. I could get them for fifty cents all day long. Now they're a dollar twenty-five. They've been like that, like I said, for at least ten years. But there's even more mystery to this. The machine was really, really old. And I don't know how old it, it is because I'm not a soda machine, you know, aficionado, but it was seriously old. And it had this button on it that said mystery. And it's obviously for those of us who like to, you know, live life on the edge there. And it, you just, you, you hit the mystery button and it gave you the soda of its choice, whatever it wanted to give you. Now, how this was rigged up, I don't know. Um, it's real. The whole thing is just really, really weird. And it's not just the question of, you know, what soda you're going to get by hitting the mystery button that made the machine such an enigma, but it's, 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 it's really its entire existence because nobody knows who owns this machine. Nobody knows who stocked it because no one was ever seen stocking it. And how can, how can that, how can that happen? When you've got someone that obviously has to, you can't just roll up in there clandestine in the middle of the night with, you know, a few soda cans and a backpack and do this real quick. I mean, if you're going to keep this machine stocked, you have to bring a ton of sodas in there and you have to do it on the reg. And anyway, if you're going to, if you're going to do that, there shouldn't there be somebody that, that sees you. I mean, I see the vending machine dudes at work all the time. And I watch these guys bring, and it's not just sodas that these guys are stocking. They're also doing, um, uh, you know, uh, snack machines and stuff. And I see these dudes when they come in, and they have a dolly stacked up high full of crap. And they have a big truck with all their crap in it. I mean, it's not just somebody coming in with a, you know, a backpack on with some stuff shoved in their backpack to come in here and do this. So... Who, who owned this machine? Who was stocking it? How were they able to stock it all these years and not be seen? And anyway, if you're going to only charge 75 cents for sodas, aren't you losing your ass on that too? And Unless they're doing the, the no-name brand Walmart sodas. I can't imagine anyone doing name brand sodas and still only doing it for 75 cents unless it's some sort of, you know, philanthropist some millionaire guy that's trying to give back to society by only charging 75 cents for sodas i don't know it doesn't make sense but anyway one of the things that makes this a mystery besides what i just said was all of a sudden no warning there all of the buttons on it became mystery buttons so you never knew what soda you were going to get and the price went up by 25 cents it went up from 75 cents to a dollar and then one day the machine just disappeared, completely disappeared. 
And the only thing that was left behind was a note where the machine was. And it said, and I, you, you can't make this up. It says, went for a walk. That's it. Don't know where the machine went. It's just gone. And now you have a note that says went for a walk. Now, believe it or not, this machine has a Facebook page. And the explanation for its sudden disappearance was contributed to going for a walk. Need to find myself. That's what it said on Facebook. I mean, I've I've been to this thing's Facebook page. It's, it's incredible. You know, it, it said uh, maybe you need to take a shower Stuff like that. And beyond that, nobody knows what happened to this freaking iconic vending machine. You know, it, it really doesn't seem like a stretch to speculate that after so many years, it was probably due for some sort of servicing or something, or maybe it just, you know, completely broke down altogether. But as of right now, the mystery machine, as it's come to be known, it still hasn't come back. But its Facebook page has been pretty busy. It's got images of this the soda machine traveling all over the globe and hanging out with, with bears and, and posing next to famous landmarks and stuff like that. Of course, all this is Photoshop. The machine's not really traveling on the around the world and no one's taking it with them anywhere, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the roaming gnome, uh, on Travelocity, except, you know, uh, this is, um, a soda machine. <laughs> so that makes my number 10 top, mystery of 2018. What happened to Seattle's mystery soda machine? Number nine is something that you also probably haven't, uh, not a lot of you probably have heard a lot about. Number nine is the Hart family death. And that's not H-E-A-R-T, it's H-A-R-T, the Hart family death. Now friends knew the Hart family as, and I'm going to quote this, quote, beautiful examples of opening arms to strangers, helping youth, supporting racial equality. But investigators think the parents of this family may have intentionally killed themselves and all of their children. Now, this happened all the way back in March of 2018. The family's SUV plunged off a 70-foot cliff into the Pacific Ocean. All six family members, two adults, a mom and a dad, and four children were either confirmed dead or missing and presumed dead. And according to NBC News, authorities said the driver, which was the mother, Jennifer Hart, had a blood alcohol content of .102 and several other family members had high levels of a, quote, over-the-counter medication that can cause drowsiness. Now, that's probably Benadryl is what I'm thinking. There's only just a, a, a very few over-the-counter medications that can cause drowsiness. You can count them on one hand and have some fingers left over. The number one culprit for that would be Benadryl. Now, what's especially chilling here is that there were no skid marks at the scene, and the uh, the computer in the car, the onboard computer, it indicated that the vehicle had, had stopped, and then it did a sudden acceleration before it, it uh, shot off of the, the side of the cliff. Now, this to me suggests that whatever happened there was probably intentional um, unless the mother was so impaired that she thought she was hitting the brake instead of the gas pedal 
or accidentally hit the gas pedal or, or something of that nature. Now, I've seen a lot of drunk people. I've seen drunk people who had alcohol levels of... Um, uh, just the other day, a person had an alcohol level of uh, uh, 0.170 or 172. I think it was point. It was point one seventy, uh, which is not really in the world of drinking and stuff. That's not really that high of a blood alcohol level, although it's legally uh, considered to be intoxicated. Um, but this guy had uh, lost time from uh, nine o'clock at night till three o'clock in the morning. So you've got what, six hours there that this dude had no memory of. And, uh, people around him were telling him things that he was saying and doing and which was totally out of character for him. And, um, he had no memory of doing these things. And when he came to, he was, uh, like on the side of a street somewhere, had no idea how he got there or where any of his friends were. So it's possible that you can drink, alcohol and have a uh, um, a blood alcohol level of in the 100s, which is, even though considered to be legally intoxicated, is not really that drunk. But if you're a lightweight, uh, such as myself, or, or, you know, you can do things that a uh, severely intoxicated person, someone who has a blood alcohol level way higher than that, you can do things that you, that those people would do and not remember it. But, you know, did this sad event was it intentional did the mother do something intentional um i don't know you know you got suspect there uh she was uh, legally intoxicated and um several family members had something in their system that would cause them to be drowsy it did not say what i read did not say who had what in them so you know i i and it just said several other family members. So I don't know how many of them had whatever medication in them. Uh, one of the, the weird things about it, one of the other weird things about it, is that there wasn't any kind of a suicide note. Uh, nothing could be found that would indicate that um, there was one anywhere or that there was any reason for suicide. Uh, friends and family were adamant that the couple would never have done something like this intentionally. And um, there's just, there was no, you know, obvious indication at the scene that said, hey, this is a, a murder-suicide or, or something like that. But you, you also have the flip side of this where there are some of the neighbors or the couple who, who, uh, reported that uh, they, they reported the family to the state uh, social services because one of the boys uh, kept coming over to their house to ask for food and reportedly, allegedly said that his parents would sometimes stop feeding the kids as a form of punishment. And you go back a few years, all the way back to 2011, and the mother, Sarah Hart, uh, she'd been charged with domestic assault against her six-year-old daughter. So it likely that what all was going on with this family, it wasn't all as it seemed. So there could have been some other stuff that was happening there um, than simply just um, your normal, typical, everyday, run-of-the-mill, happy family. So that's, um, that's my number eight 
the Hart family death. And it's very chilling, very, um, I mean, to, to think that, um, of course, you know, this is not the, if this was done intentionally, it's not the first time that something like this is done and it won't be the last time. It's just, you know, um, people just never cease to amaze me at the things they can do to themselves and others, especially young kids. My number eight mystery for 2018 is the bag of severed hands. Once again, something not a lot of you might've heard of, um, a bag of 54 severed human hands was found in Russia at a popular fishing spot. So presumably where it might've been discovered by, you know, some kids out there fishing with grandpa, you know, horribly scarring them for the rest of their natural lives. Who knows? But what happened was first somebody found, uh, just like one single hand, which led to the discovery of the bag on an island in the Amur River, about 20 miles from China. And according to the Siberian Times, the police were unable to determine who any of the hands belonged to, despite the fact that they had at least one hand that had usable fingerprints. But that didn't seem to help the police figure out the, you know, the who, what, where, when, and why. Now there were evidently, um, 27 pairs of complete sets of hands that they found. If you count, you know, the ones in the bag, plus the, the first one that they found and local media say that, uh, some medical supplies were also found nearby. This was stuff like bandages and hospital shoe covers. So, there's a theory that maybe the hands were removed from cadavers for some unknown reason. Um, you know, so far there hasn't been any double hand amputees that's come forward to claim the missing hands. And the Russian government did say that they believe the hands were illegally disposed of by local medical examiner's office where that's, I don't know, it's evidently, a weirdly common practice to cut off the hands of corpses for future identification. I, I, I don't know, but there's been no updates to this in a long time. I haven't found out if any of the hands have been identified, but it seems really, really weird. Kind of akin to the um, situation where um, feet keep turning up in, where is it? Somewhere in the, the uh, north uh, northeastern United States in the New York area, somewhere like that, where there's uh, maybe uh, there's feet that keep washing up and they can't explain what's going on. Uh, it's 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 really it's bizarre how body parts can just uh, hands and feet just mysteriously just show up and you don't know, can't find out where they came from. Strange. <laughs> Number seven on my top ten list are the explosions from 4 billion light years away. Now, this is something you guys may or may not have heard of. Uh, this is a little bit more, quote unquote, mainstream. This happened all the way back in the spring of 2018. Scientists saw something really strange in the night sky. It was a large number of bright flashing explosions that were happening uh, an estimated 4 billion, that's billion with a B, 4 billion light years away. Now, according to the Royal Astronomical Society, there were 72 explosions in total, and they were as bright as supernovas, but shorter-lived. 
uh, a, a supernova is typically visible for months, while these lights disappeared somewhere between a week and a month uh, after they, they initially appeared. And scientists estimated that each explosion was between 10,000 and 30,000 degrees Celsius. Now, there's been some, some scientists who have proposed that the explosions actually were supernovas, but maybe the supernova illuminated a cloud of dust surrounding the star, and that's why the scientists, that's what the scientists were seeing. Or maybe they're an entirely new astronomical phenomenon. We don't know. What, what is known is that Stephen Hawking died just a few weeks before all this research was presented. So is that coincidence? Maybe he's out there in the cosmos somewhere just trying to keep scientists on their toes. No, I'm just, I'm just making that up. But I mean, he did die a few weeks before this research was presented. But so we don't know what it was, but there was so many of these like 72 explosions that you out in space somewhere and you just can't explain it. Of course, now there are conspiracy theorists who say, you know, oh, this could have been some alien race having some sort of nuclear type war or something like that. You know, something akin to what we would think would be a nuclear war. Is it possible? Um, yeah, it is possible. Um, it, you have to look at the universe as a whole. The universe is infinitely big, and there's got to be more than just our little planet that has intelligent life on it. So is it possible that there's life on other planets? Yes, it's entirely possible. Is it possible that uh, there were some uh, advanced alien races that were uh, blowing each other up you know, four billion years away in the cosmos? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible, but... It's not really all that probable, in my opinion. So possible, yes, but probably not. Number six. Now, this is something that I find very disturbing. This is a new canine illness here in the eastern United States. Now, we spend a lot of time freaking out about mystery illnesses in us humans because the media has done a really good job convincing us that some sort of global pandemic is just like, you know, knocking on the door and we need to stock up on, on you know, we need to start doing our doomsday prepping stuff, you know, all of our, our prepping gear and our, our guns and, and, you know, gas masks and canned food and all that sorts of stuff just in case. But what we do tend to forget about is that human viruses aren't the only ones that mutate and humans aren't the only animals that get sick, right? Since early August last year, there's been this really weird, strange outbreak of some sort of funky respiratory illness that's been making dogs sick in the just in the eastern part of the United States. And it doesn't really correspond with any of the 11 common canine viruses and bacteria that cause similar symptoms. Now, there's a veterinarian in Hilton Head, South Carolina, who says that the dogs are all suffering from mild to severe coughing. And yes, dogs do cough. And sometimes vomiting or fevers and lethargy. And if you don't know what lethargy is, it just means that you have an altered mental status. For, for lack of a better term. So far, there haven't been any of these dogs that have actually died, but the fact that the tests for common respiratory illnesses are all coming back negative is really concerning, 
and it could be some sort of indication that the virus is either a mutated form of one of these already known viruses or it's worse which would be something completely new now the illness as of august last year had not been named and I was going to look this up before I started doing my podcast and I totally forgot about it. So I don't have a name of the illness for you, but it's serious enough that People Magazine did a story on it and they estimate that there's been around a thousand dogs that have been sickened just in the Charlottesville area alone. And there's been reports of similar illnesses that's come as far away as Louisiana and Texas, but really officials aren't sure if it's the same illness or if veterinarians are just being, you know, overly cautious about the whole thing. Now, I am a a dog lover. I'm an animal owner. And um, one of the things um, that I've had to deal with within the past year was uh, the death of um, one of my beloved dogs, um, Perry, the paranormal pooch. <laughs> uh, he was uh, a constant friend and companion to me, and um, uh, he did not die of this respiratory illness. He had cancer, unfortunately. Um, he went on several adventures with me and uh, was was my best friend. Rest in peace, Perry. I love you, buddy. Um, but I, it was... Um, very devastating to me to lose him. And so uh, if you are out there and you are an animal lover and you don't know about this respiratory illness, you need to, to, to do a favor, do yourself a favor and, and you need to start looking up um, the uh, 11 common respiratory illnesses for dogs. Um, And you need to find out, God, I wish I had, had, um, Remember to, to try to find the name for this, but you need to try to find a name for this. You need to talk to your vet and see if there's anything that you can do to protect your animal. As of yet, there's no uh, no cure. There's no uh, real definitive type treatment for it, and um, there's really nothing that you can do to protect your pet. So um, it's really it, I, it's, it, it it is so freaky because you just don't hear about it in the news. And uh, now if there are some sort of bird flu, oh my God, you know, you hear about bird flu because, you know, birds fly and we can get bird flu and all this other sorts of stuff. But if this is some sort of mutated canine virus, if, if, if it's one of the common viruses that mutated itself, then isn't it possible, although highly maybe not really probable, but isn't it possible to, to just speculate that maybe, just maybe it can mutate again and transfer itself to humans or what if it's one of our human viruses that's mutated and now uh it can transmit itself to canines so that's something you need to uh really consider seriously consider and uh protect your pooch that's that's the bottom line and now we move into the top five mysteries of 2018 and this is a story here that you probably won't hear hardly at all if if ever here in the states This is uh, number five, infant deaths are on the rise in England. Now, I came across this story, but if if you've listened to to Perialty Radio for any amount of time, you know that for my day job, I'm in the medical profession. Uh, I'm in the medical field. I'm a medical professional. And 
so I get a lot of my, of uh, medical stuff uh, in my Twitter feed and on my uh, my Facebook page and email and stuff like that. So I try to stay up with with current trends and topics in the world of medicine. And I found out about this not too long ago, and I was absolutely flabbergasted. Now, the, the following stats that I'm going to um, dish out to you are actually based upon uh, 2016 numbers. But the report that I'm getting my information from wasn't released until the summer of last year. So it didn't come out till the summer of 2018, I think June of 2018, sometime around in there. And that's why I'm including that in this list it is because the report didn't come out till 2018 even though this happened in 2016. And stats beyond uh, 2016, like 2017, 2018, they're not currently available, at least not that I can find, which is in itself a mystery, if you ask me. So in 2016, this, this, this is the, these are the figures, okay? So there were 219 unexplained infant deaths that occurred in England and Wales in 2016. Now, you're thinking, oh, what's so you know, mysteries, mysterious about that was so unexplainable. Well, the unexplained infant mortality rate rose from 0.31 deaths per 1,000 live births, which is a a, a non-statistically significant increase from 0.28 deaths per 1,000 live births in 2015. Now, this increase was driven largely by the 35.5% rise in un- uh, ascertained infant deaths from 76 in 2015 to 103 in 2016. So that's a that's a big rise. And the rise in unascertained deaths could be due to uh, changing in, in practice among coroners uh, in certifying the cause of death. Or, uh, deaths are assigned with the underlying cause as unascertained when there's no clear evidence of sudden infant death syndrome. Now, it's not possible to say with any kind of degree of certainty that uh, what's caused the change in numbers of unexplained infant deaths, but there are various factors that put babies at higher risk in England and Wales. Maternal smoking, for example, during pregnancy and postnatal exposure to tobacco smoke, uh, they've been associated with unexplained infant deaths for years. And research shows that babies uh, whose mothers smoke have an increased risk of sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, um, compared with babies whose mothers do not smoke, and that the level of risk is greater with increasing levels of maternal smoking. Other risk factors include things like low birth weight and maternal age. Now, overheating and unsafe sleeping environments, like uh, having the baby's head covered, have also been linked with unexplained infant deaths, and these situations can be more likely to occur during the winter through the use of extra clothing or blankets or uh, central heat uh, uh, You know, at night when it's coldest. Further risk factors include things like the sleeping position of the baby, uh, not properly breastfeeding or, or feeding properly at all, uh, temperature of the environment and, and, and uh, temperature of the sleep environment, uh, including uh, unplanned bed sharing and sleeping with a baby on a sofa. Uh, over the last 10 years, the number of unexplained infant deaths actually declined by 23.2% in England and Wales 
And this decrease could be driven by the advice and guidance that's available to parents from, uh, like, there's uh, the Welsh government, there's um, the, the Lullaby Trust, stuff like that over there. Uh, since 2015, the Lullaby Trust has had an annual awareness on safer sleep um, and it's called the Safer Sleep Week campaign. It promotes safer sleep advice where there's a number of health authorities who participate in this and and that you know further uh, drives public awareness. The Lullaby Trust has also been uh, has it also has trained health professionals working with new and expectant parents about safer sleep practices, and it you know gives out advice that and so forth and so on. And the majority of infant deaths occur during the first four weeks of birth. That's the neonatal period. But unexplained infant deaths are more likely to happen later on in infancy. Go back to 2016. All of the unexplained infant deaths. 81.3% occurred in the post-neonatal period. In other words, later on in infancy, after the first four weeks. This was at least 28 days, but less than one year after birth. Okay, And that's uh, uh, just, it may seem small, but it's a 1% increase from the last numbers that they had in 2018. So what is causing these infant deaths? I quoted a bunch of medical jargon and and stuff, but really, we don't really know. Is it uh, poor parenting skills? Is it poor poor environment for the infant? Is it stuff that's combined? Or is there something else that's going on? Is it something, literally something in the water going on over there in England and Wales that's that's affecting the health of these infants? It would be interesting to have uh, some some research done on, you know, um, the... the, uh, not just the smoking habits and the environmental habits and the educational background of these parents, but also um, like where do they, what do they feed their babies? Is it, uh, you know, uh, what are they uh, giving them to drink? Um, what are their habits as far as uh, um, diapering and uh, uh, products like uh I'm not a parent, so you can tell I'm struggling with this, uh, like desitin and stuff like that for diaper rash and everything. It'd be very, very interesting to see some studies done on that to see if there's any correlation in what is going on with that and these unexplained infant deaths. This very, very scary stuff on that. Very scary. Boy, that was utterly morbid and depressing, wasn't it? Let's move on, shall we? Let's get away from that. Let's talk about the number four in my top ten unexplained mysteries of 2018. Number four is mysterious illness in U.S. government workers in China. Now, this is fascinating. No one is sure why American government workers in the southern Chinese city of, and I'm going to slaughter this, you know I'm going to slaughter this, of Gangzhou. Nope, that's not Gangzhou. Guangzhou suddenly started falling mysteriously ill. But the incident was eerily reminiscent of the unexplained illness that affected U.S. government workers in Cuba all the way back in the fall of 2017. Time magazine described those incidents as, quote-unquote, sonic attacks, and this left the victims with a strange assortment of symptoms like uh, fatigue, insomnia, and cognitive issues. Um, American officials were worried that their diplomats in China have been subjected to targeted attacks involving like odd sounds leading to symptoms 
similar to what Time Magazine just described. Now, some of these symptoms are, 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 are similar to those that you would have following a concussion or some other minor traumatic brain injury. Uh, uh, headaches, dizziness, nausea, uh, some, some uh, missing time, some cognitive issues, stuff like that. Now, now, the first person to be identified in China was an employee at the U.S. consulate who reported, quote-unquote, subtle and vague but abnormal sensations of sound and pressure. And in April, this same employee was diagnosed with a mild traumatic brain injury and sent back to the United States. Then in June, officials reported that more Americans were being screened for similar health concerns, and many of these people were being evacuated back here to the States. Now, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, and I quote, medical indications are very similar and entirely consistent with the medical indications that have taken place to Americans working in Cuba. And the government also called specific attacks. This is in Cuba. This is what the government said. They call those things specific attacks on Americans. So it's pretty clear that someone is allegedly out to get us. Exactly who, though, no one really knows. So these attacks that happened in Cuba all the way back in 2017 were of very similar origin and had very similar effects on people. Now, if you also investigate this a little bit further, the Russians come into play into all this. And we all know that right now our relationship with the Russians are somewhat strained, let's say. After all, we do know that they interfered in the 2016 election. And then you have some stuff going on the very next year in 2017 in Cuba where some uh, U.S. diplomats are falling ill with some unexplained, quote-unquote, minor brain trauma. And now it's happening in China. So you have these communist countries, for lack of a better word, that are all involved in this. And it seems like maybe if, if you, you know, it may be a stretch, but if you, if you think about it, if you do some digging and you'll find that Russia's name keeps coming up in this, it seems that maybe, just maybe, Russia is providing these communist governments with some sort of unknown weapon, at least not known to the, the general public, right? Uh, and they're using that weapon. Maybe they're testing it on diplomats from the United States. I don't think that's a, I, I'm, you know me, I'm not a huge government conspiracy theorist type, type person, but that does seem highly, highly plausible. And I think that um, if this were ever to come to light as to what was behind it, I think that I would probably be pretty close to the mark on that. But who knows? I mean, that's just my opinion, right? So now we move into the top three of my top 10 mysteries for 2018. So number three, this is something that's also very disturbing um, as far as the medical profession goes. There is a new polio-like illness here in the United States. Now we all know that polo, polo, Jesus, we all know that polio was officially eradicated here in the United States in 1979. Now, if you're too young to remember a time when the disease terrorized children and their parents, 
Here's why polio eradication was a priority. It was highly, I repeat, highly infectious. It caused 15,000 cases of paralysis every year when it was at its height. And it really sucked. The vaccinations really sucked too. I remember getting vaccinated. That's how old I am. We take our polio-free society for granted because there's hardly anyone left who remembers how much polio sucked. Now, I don't remember how much polio sucked because I'm not that old. But I know how bad it sucked to get the shot. They used to, it was, you you lined up in school and they came down with this big gun and they, and they shot you in the arm and you got your polio vaccination. And there are lots of people who have scars on their arms from polio vaccinations. I know people who um, are, are much older than me, but I know people who were affected by polio. It really sucked. Then, all of a sudden, nature decided to send us a little reminder about how polio sucked by inventing a disease that looks an awful lot like polio. It looks an awful lot like polio. And according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a mysterious polio-like illness recently sickened three children in Pittsburgh and a handful of other kids in Minnesota and a handful of other kids in Illinois. Now, this disease has a name, unlike the canine disease. This one actually has a name. It's called acute flaccid myelitis, or AFM. And its symptoms include things like muscle weakness, facial and eyelid drooping, and some other terrifying things like slurred speech, trouble swallowing, or moving the eyes, and respiratory failure. But AFM isn't a specific virus. It's rather uh, triggered by something else like, like a toxin in the environment or some sort of enterovirus, which is a common virus that causes like minor cold-like symptoms. Kids get it all the time. But AFM isn't entirely new. Now, the CDC has been tracking a spike in cases since 2014. But the fact that there are clusters of cases implies that there's a particularly, for lack of a better word, insidious contagion floating around, especially in 2018, and the CDC still isn't sure what it is. Now, there's this other disease that's very similar to AFM. If you look at the symptoms, muscle weakness, eyelid and facial drooping, you have trouble swallowing or moving the eyes and respiratory failure, stuff like that. There's another disease called Guillain-Barre or GB that is very similar. As a matter of fact, the name, acute flaccid myelitis, is very just so much similar to, to Guillain-Barre. Guillain-Barre is named after a man, obviously, but but Guillain-Barre is basically paralysis of the body where you have things like muscle weakness. It starts usually in the the feet and legs and it moves up the body. So you will get things like inability to move your eyes, facial and eyelid drooping, trouble speaking, and respiratory failure. So could this be akin to Guillain-Barre? Is it some offshoot of Guillain-Barre? We don't know, but if you have Guillain-Barre or if you know of anyone that has Guillain-Barre, if your life has been affected by it, you'll see the similarities that, I'm, that, that are here. 
you'll see the line that I'm drawing between these two things here. So I have not personally come across any um, cases of AFM, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to. Um, but however, the similarities between that and Guillain-Barre, I have come across cases of Guillain-Barre in my career, and I do know uh, at least one person personally is a dear good friend of mine uh, that suffers from Guillain-Barre, and it is a devastating illness that really changes the way that you have to live your life. And I, I don't know what long-term effects there are on AFM because we don't, no one knows. There, you, There's no one old enough to study the long-term effects on it yet. So is this something that's going to be sticking around? Um, don't know. Is this an offshoot of Guillain-Barre or is this a new polio virus? We don't know. It's, it's way too soon to tell. Um, but it's scary because you don't know how to um, protect yourself from it. So is it airborne? Does it, is it spread in the, by blood? Is it droplets? Who knows? We haven't figured that out yet. So many reasons to be scared these days. That's just one more. Add it to the list. Speaking of reasons to be scared, that's a great segue into my number two of the top 10 mysteries of 2018, which is the Steamboat Geyser eruptions in Yellowstone National Park. The world's largest active geyser, Steamboat, erupted 32 times in 2018, and scientists don't know why. Up until now, the most times that Steamboat has erupted in a single year was all the way back in 1982, when it erupted 22 times. Records of steamboats eruptions only date back to 1966, so we don't know, you know, we don't have any data prior to then as to how many times it erupted in a single year. And also, in addition to that, three of the geysers eruptions have a last have lasted for an hour or more, and another three were over 30 minutes. Run one eruption, in addition to those six. One eruption lasted for 55 minutes and there was another that uh, went for 43 minutes and eight seconds. So you have eight eruptions all lasting 30 minutes or longer. What's scary about this is that until now, the longest duration of time the geyser, the geyser erupted uh, lasted for 23 minutes. And that was the last time that steamboat erupted, which was in 2014. Until then, the longest time it had erupted was for 20 minutes, and you got to go all the way back to 1984 for that. Now, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, all of 2018's eruptions have been smaller than the 2014 event. Yet, a look at the website geysertimes.com, the chart that's on that website clearly shows that the durations of the eruptions are longer and have occurred more frequently since records began to be kept back in 1966. Now, although scientists can't explain why the geyser has become so active, they don't believe the eruptions in the northwest section of the parks uh, signal any kind of pending trouble with the 
super volcano beneath Yellowstone. And if you know anything about Yellowstone, you'll know that it is home to one of the world's, if not the world's largest super volcano, and it's underneath the ground. And if that thing blows, it's going to take probably at least half the continental United States with it, maybe even more. Now, there's a guy by the name of Michael Poland. He's the head of the uh, U.S. Geological Survey's Yellowstone Volcano Observatory. And he told the news outlet Reuters that, quote, there is nothing to indicate that any sort of volcanic eruption is imminent. Now, Steamboat, located in the park's Norris Geyser Basin, can shoot a column of hot water up to around 300 feet into the air. And its eruptions have always been unpredictable. Yellowstone's volcanic plateau is home to the world's largest, most spectacular hydrothermal system of colorful springs, thermal ponds, and geysers. Unfortunately, the park is on top of a giant volcanic caldera, or crater, and vast underground chambers of magma flow beneath the surface of the park. Geysers erupt when the magma heats the water that has seeped underground. And of course, Old Faithful, the park's most famous geyser, is just a fraction of the size of Steamboat, and it erupts every 45 to 125 minutes, hence the name Old Faithful. Now, as for the Steamboat geyser, um, <clears throat> this guy Poland, he told a separate news outlet, the Washington Post, it's cool, it's exciting, it's neat, it's nothing to be afraid about. Yet you got to go back, and as I was stating earlier, uh, the website, jeez, uh, what was the name of that website? Geysertimes.com. It clearly shows that not only has Steamboat erupted in 2018, not only has it erupted more times than it ever has since they started keeping records of it, but it's lasting longer and you've got to think that that's signaling some kind of activity an increase in activity um, underground with the the caldera and the supervolcano there's got to be something that's going on there yet the u.s geological survey says oh no everything's fine you know don't worry about it there's no imminent danger of any volcanic eruption of course the u.s government would say something like that right because i mean if they know that something's going to happen that could basically wipe out half or if not more of north america then they're not going to want to let us know right they're not going to tell us that they're going to wait until almost the last possible moment before they even give a hint that anything was going, oh yeah, we knew that was going to happen. We've been preparing for it. It's just like that movie 2012, that horrible movie that came out back in 2012. And if you saw that, when the super volcano goes, that's what's going to happen. And the government, they had people there looking at it, studying, observing it and all that. Well, you know, that's one time where, you know, fiction and fact are going to probably kind of co-mingle. And I think that there is cause for alarm and we should have some concern with that. Which brings us to the end, the number one most, the number one top rated mystery as far as I'm concerned, 
of 2018 would be the Sunspot Solar Observatory evacuation. Now, if television has taught us anything, it's that evacuations are always pretty bad, right? In fact, we don't even really need television to tell us that. Because generally speaking, anytime you say the word, you know, evacuation, get out of here, then people usually get the hint that something's wrong and things are pretty bad, right? Now, according to multiple reports, on September 6th of 2018, the Sunspot Solar Observatory in New Mexico, where one of the world's largest solar telescopes live, was shut down and evacuated without any kind of warning or explanation. Then, because the whole story wasn't, you know, conspiracy theory-ish enough, the FBI showed up and started crawling all over the place like Mulder and Scully. In addition, the nearby post office was also shut down. In fact, the whole area was evacuated and the roads going in and out of the place were shut down. And to make the mystery even more mysterious, the FBI wouldn't even tell anyone what was going on, even though the FBI is usually pretty candid and forthcoming about stuff, right? Anyway, the observatory stayed closed for 11 days and then it opened back up again and employees probably weren't at all anxious about returning to the workplace that had recently be, you know, been evacuated from mysterious circumstances at all. The only thing that the authorities would say was that there was a quote-unquote suspect who potentially posed a threat, but they failed to really elaborate, so they were clearly hiding something. As it turned out, the explanation as it came forward for for the shutdown was... Well, it was kind of it was it was it was pretty disgusting. It was it was worse than any X Files alien conspiracy, as far as I'm concerned. Now, according to the NPR, the FBI believed that someone at the observatory was using the Wi-Fi to download and distribute child pornography. Now, this explanation may have been at least somewhat plausible, were it not for the bizarre way that the FBI handled the September 6th evacuation of the observatory and its nearby residents. Even the local sheriff, who was kept in the dark about the investigation throughout you know, the whole entire time, he was even skeptical. Here's a quote directly from the Otero County Sheriff Benny House. But for the FBI to get involved that quick and be so secretive about it, there was a lot of stuff going on up there. There was a Black Hawk helicopter a bunch of people around antennas and work crews on towers, but nobody would tell us anything. Now, why would you want to have a Black Hawk helicopter flying around when you're going in there because you suspect someone is downloading and distributing child pornography? Why do you have to have people up on towers if all it is is child pornography and I'm not saying all it is right because child porn is obviously very sick and disgusting and very very illegal but if if you've got an employee that was using the wi-fi to download and distribute child pornography why do you have to have people up on towers and black hawk helicopters circling around why do you have to close the roads in and out of the observatory, and why are you shutting down the local post office? The only reason I can think of 
for shutting down the local post office when it comes to child porn was that maybe he was also using the post office to mail child pornography and they needed to search that. But they never said anything about the supposed suspect doing this. So it's all very mysterious and uh, unexplainable, right? Now, the Sunspot Solar Observatory is one of the largest active solar telescopes in the world. And it's conspicuously located near the White Sands Missile Range. And we all know there's some weird stuff that's happened at White Sands Missile Range all through the years, right? And while the Sunspot facility itself is is kind of low security, I mean, you've got some security there, but it's not high up on the security scale. It's proximity to a U.S. military weapons testing site and the Holloman Air Force Base could make it a prime target for international or interplanetary espionage. What's interesting about the Holloman Air Force Base is that in 1964, the base was alleged to be the landing site of a UFO. This craft supposedly landed on the base and the beings inside got out met with officials from the base, and the entire event was supposedly caught on film by some low-level Air Force officer. But as one would expect, this film has pretty much disappeared completely, and any and all evidence attesting to the fact that there was an alien landing there has been, you know, dealt with. It's gone away. Except for this film, some people say that they uh, see... Uh, or have seen little clips of it pop up around the internet here and there. And supposedly uh, some people were uh, at one point in time were shown the film without being told that it was a, an actual um, uh, film of, of a UFO landing. And they just thought it was some sort of, you know, movie with great special effects and stuff. Um, Of course, all that is, is hearsay. We don't have any actual proof because any and all evidence is lost or, suppressed. So theories about what really happened at Sunspot abound from UFOs to some sort of mass corona effect from the sun to, you know, all things in between. Interestingly, on a side note to this, there were six solar observatory, uh, solar observing webcams that were mysteriously shut down on the same day that this place was that these that the sunspot was shut down the same day the same time that sunspot was shut down when there were six solar observing webcams on the internet that were shut down as well now you could call that a coincidence but if it is it's a very strange coincidence we'll probably never know exactly what happened at sunspot but one thing's for sure whatever it was it was certainly The Biggest Mystery of 2018. So that about wraps it up for the first Periality Radio of 2019. And before I go, I promised you at the top of the show that I had um, a major announcement concerning the future of Periality Radio, one that's going to change the way that I do the show. It's going to change things for me, uh, what I think is a great bit, and it's something that I, I think is a positive move 
for the show and one that I hope you and the uh, rest of your friends and people who listen out there will uh, will accept and will like. Um, I am moving. Um, well, I'm changing the the uh, times and the frequency of the show. Uh, way back in the day, I used to do uh, two episodes a month, and they were two hours long a piece. I did one on the first and third Friday of every month, and uh, I'm going to go back uh, to that format. Sort of, um, I'm going to start going, start doing uh, new episodes. The first and third Friday of every month episodes are, are going to be um, around about an hour or so in length. Uh, this one's going over a little bit uh, longer than an hour. Um, and I'm going to kind of leave it uh, pretty much open-ended. I'm not going to try to have just a, a specific, uh, uh, we're only going to do, you know, an hour. I'm only going to do two hours or an hour and a half or whatever. We're going to kind of leave it open-ended, but it's going to be at least an hour, uh, two days a month starting out. It may, you know, grow from there. I don't know. Um, so new episodes of your favorite paranormal talk show, Parareality Radio, can be heard now uh, on the first and third Fridays of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And the uh, biggest thing that I'm making, the biggest change that I'm making, is that on the uh, third Friday of every month, starting uh, on the 18th of, of this month, I am going to have a regular co-host of the show. Um, I'm really super excited about this. This is a guy that um, I've, I've uh, talked to um, gosh, ever since um, I started having this idea about a co-host. I originally wanted a um, friend of the show, um, um, John Harrison, to, to come on and be a co-host, but um, things didn't really work out with, with me and John, and he's, uh, he's since moved on and... and um, um, we have, um, not parted ways. We're, st- we're still friends. Um, you know, the last time he was supposed to appear on the show, he, he, uh, he stood me up and, and, uh, kind of, kind of pissed me off a little bit, but we, we've patched things up and, and everything, but, uh, it, it's just wasn't meant to be for John and I to be, uh, uh for him to be a, a regular co-host for Perry Alti radio. Uh, and, and, he did a great job whenever he was on and I was interviewing him for, the annual skeptics night. Um, so with, with that, the, the, the good reviews that I got from that, I started thinking, man, I, I think it might be great to have a, uh, a, a co-host come on from time to time. So, um, I kind of put my feelers out and, uh, I was contacted by this guy who, um, has been he he's a he's he he hosts a podcast that's that's kind of similar to Pair Reality Radio, and um, he was interested in being my co-host. So we're going to try this out for 2018 and see how it goes. And this may be something that uh, uh, I hope that it expands and and you guys really like it. And I hope that 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 it is good for the show. I really think that it's going to be. So this guy, he uh, is a co-host of a podcast called The World We Live In, which can be uh, heard on Podbean. 
and he's been a podcaster for about a year and a half. His name is Eric Patterson, and starting on Friday, January 18th, 2019, he is going to be a regular co-host here on Parareality Radio on the third Friday of every month. Like I said, Alex has been a podcaster for about a year and a half. He's a, a young guy that uh, just recently graduated college. He's always been fascinated by the world of, of uh, the paranormal and weird stuff, just like yours truly here. He loved TV shows like Fringe and Ancient Aliens. And as a matter of fact, th- those kind of TV shows sparked his inspiration into learning more about the world of the paranormal and the weird and the unexplained. And he started doing his own research and exploring new topics. And so that led him to looking for a creative outlet, which led him to becoming a co-host of a podcast called The World We Live In. Uh, In his spare time, he does stuff like CrossFit, uh, plays soccer, he likes to read, play video games, and he's a big coffee nut. He's always got to have a cup of coffee with him. So I'm going to have some geeked up dude hyped up on caffeine with me on the third Friday of every month when I do a new show on Periality Radio. So I want to welcome aboard Eric Patterson, new co-host for Periality Radio. You can check his his uh, podcast out, The World We Live In, over on uh, Podbean. So I suggest that you uh, go over there right now. And listen to an episode of the World We Live In podcast. And that is my big announcement for 2018. 2019. I can't get the 2018 out of my head. I'm really excited. I hope this is going to work out great. I know it will. And I hope you guys like the format. Let me know what you thought about it after we get Eric up on the air. Give him a couple of episodes to get in there and get his feet wet here with this high production podcast at his Reality Radio. And uh, let us know what you think about it. Man, I, I, I can't wait until uh, the 18th comes around where he can he can get in here and we can start uh, start doing the show. And, and it, the 18th is going to be kind of like an introductory episode for Eric. I'm going to be grilling him with all kinds of questions. So I'm going to be interviewing him. It's going to be great. <laughs> Everybody, I, I don't want to keep rambling on. I know you're tired of hearing and listening to me ramble. Uh, so I'm going to cut it off there. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by sending me an email to sandman at parareality.com or just go to the website www.parareality.com. You can get in touch with me that way. There on parareality.com is where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to the current and past episodes. And if you click on the extras tab up in the corner, you can join the official Parareality Radio forum, which is free. You can shop in the Parareality Radio store and you can watch some show videos and other stuff like that. And uh, you can also join the uh, Parareality Radio Facebook page. You can uh, search for that on Facebook, just typing in Parareality Radio. You can also listen to the show on Facebook as well, and you can uh, find out more about what's going on in the world of Parareality there on the Facebook page. Don't forget, I'm also on Twitter, so you can follow me on Twitter at Radio. I'll be tweeting out announcements like special guests, topics, show dates and times, stuff like that, so be sure to follow me on Twitter at Radio. As I said earlier, my next show is going to be on Friday, January 18, 2019 
at 8 p.m. Central U.S. time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out all about Mr. Eric Patterson, new co-host of Parareality Radio. Everybody, I hope this program opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, and I will see you again in two weeks. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.